Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. We have a great program for you today. The poor in spirit, the broken, the humble, the hungry, sympathetic, the pure, reconciling, and enduring. These are not the words that describe the typical picture of the modern day successful American pastor. But these are the words Jesus said should characterize the lives of his 12 disciples. In many circles, the image of what a pastor is or does looks nothing like the picture Jesus paints for his disciples of the character that marks citizens of his kingdom. The new book, Shepherding Like Jesus, is a call to rebel against much of what our culture understands pastoral leadership to be and return to being the shepherd God has called pastors to be. It's an invitation to recover the most essential element of pastoral ministry, the character of Christ. Andrew Abair is the lead pastor of Moberly Baptist Church in East Texas. He's a graduate of Criswell College and Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he's here to talk about his new book, Shepherding Like Jesus, Returning to the Wild Idea That Character Matters in Ministry. Brother, welcome to the program. Jared, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed. Did you like how I dropped the the out of uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary? I did notice <laughs> that. I wasn't going to correct it, but I, uh, I did. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, if I can, I can disrespect the the, you can disrespect the podcast to point it out. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I hear it all the time. People say it's the and I say, well, if you say so, I guess it technically is the, but I'll tell you a funny story. I, was I pre- know. I was preaching in chapel at Southern one time and Dr. Moeller gave me a hard time because my former church is Paramount Baptist Church. And he said, that's just the most Texan thing to do <laughs> to call your church the Paramount Baptist Church. And I just got up and my first comment was, well, that's awfully rich coming from the guy who insists that you call it the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. What Was it the Paramount Baptist Church, though? No, no. Only in Dr. Okay, Moeller. yeah. <laughs> Only his mind. I've got a great Moeller story as well. I, I, I haven't interacted with him too much, but I, I've been in you know circles where he's been a couple of times. And this is ages ago. This is before I worked even at Midwestern Seminary. This is before I was a seminary guy. I was just pastoring. I think that time I was in Vermont and I was on a panel. I was, I was trying to like figure out how am I on this panel? I think it was at a T4G or a TGC with, with Al Moeller and Jonathan Lehman and Jeremy Rennie. And I don't remember who else. And uh, right before somebody coached me and just said something like, you know, don't say anything stupid. Just don't like, don't, don't embarrass you. Don't. <laughs> and, and I was so intimidated, man. I was like, I, I can't. And I was sitting right next to Dr. Moeller. So I was, I was just so intimidated. And I tried to not, you know, on the panel, try not to say anything. And it was one of those, like the topic, I don't remember the specific topic, but it had to do with culture and gender identity and all kinds of, you know, things that are like really right in my wheelhouse, right? Things that I talk about a lot. And so I just tried to not embarrass myself. I try not to say anything. And eventually a question got posed to me and I answered the question and you can put this on my grave. Dr. Moeller turns and he goes, that's exactly right. And then he, <laughs> and I said to myself, "Do not say anything else for the rest." Of now, that's the kind of thing that you uh, you want to put on your resume. Uh, that's that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I just it was a blurb. He's exactly right, Doctor Albert Moeller of the Southern Baptist. Brother, let's talk about shepherding like Jesus. I, I love the subtitle, "Returning to the Wild Idea 
that character matters in ministry. Why the uh, adjective wild? What, why is this a wild idea, man? Well, it's a little tongue in cheek, of course. It's it's not a wild idea. It's a very old idea, a scriptural idea, but of course, it's something that's been emphasized throughout most of church history. But it feels like a wild idea to us because that we just don't talk about it a lot. And it seems like in the last several decades, so much emphasis has been placed on other aspects of what it looks like to be a pastor, that this, what I'm calling the most essential aspect of being qualified to be a pastor, like your character, your Christ-likeness, your integrity, uh, we just haven't talked about it. We haven't focused on it, and it's fallen out of vogue. Meanwhile, as you well know, we have a, a crisis of character in pastoral leadership, and we, we see it almost weekly um, where there's another story of a pastor who falls in, in a very public way and so forth. And so I, I don't think it's accidental that we're actually seeing some of those things play out. It's because we have focused on so many different things uh, that are really not essential to being a, a good godly pastor. Yeah, I like the adjective wild because it just sort of speaks to the, in a way, the idea that to pastor like this is almost radical compared to the status quo, <laughs> at, at least in Western or, or more specifically American evangelicalism, I suppose, that this is actually, unfortunately, it's countercultural. The way of, of, of Jesus has always been countercultural, but even in some respects, counter church culture or counter evangelical culture. I wonder if you could just kind of pan out for a bit, maybe put the culture hat on a little bit. And what is the state of the pastorate in? American evangelicalism, I know that's a huge category, but I guess maybe to refine to our tribe or our circles, Sure. what are you seeing as sort of how we doing, uh, maybe post COVID or just in you know the 21st century here? What's the state of the pastorate? Yeah, I appreciate that question. And, and I appreciate you, you pointing out that this is a countercultural kind of book. In fact, my working title, it's not what it ended up being, but my working title was Renegade Pastor. Okay. Um, and the idea is you're, you're running against the stream, much of what passes for our modern conception of what a successful pastor is. And I'm encouraging you to rebel against it. I'm encouraging, encouraging you to be a renegade, to look different. And I think, if it, you know, just to take your big, broad question, the state of the pastorate, I mean, it's not good. It's not healthy. And there are multiple layers to that. I think because of the influences over the last, I would say, probably anywhere between 50 and 80 years of American evangelicalism, so much business theory has seeped into our conceptions of what it means to be the church and also to be pastors because of some of those influences. Oftentimes what we are looking for, we being churches, when we're looking for leaders, we we are looking for those who are charismatic, dynamic, gifted leaders, kind of type A personalities, uh, extroverted people who can lead the church like you would lead a successful business, uh, which if you have a business, you know, your measurement of success is increased customer base. And so a successful pastor is going to be the kind of person who brings, you know, great crowds and you measure success by numerical goals and so forth. And so you tend to hire people who have those kind of capabilities and those kinds of skill sets, but oftentimes neglecting what First Timothy chapter three, for instance, uh, calls pastors to be and do, which apart from one qualification, which has to do with your ability, your ability to teach, everything else has to do with what you must be. Right. Um, you, you must be a person of character. So we've kind of neglected the character question and focused on the what I would call the competency or the, the charisma or the capacity of the leader. And decade after decade, 
of that kind of emphasis is going to lead to the kinds of pastors who, rather than shepherding in Christ-like ways, are going to shepherd in ways that, you know, will grow the church numerically, and it doesn't matter who we run over in the process. So, I think that's been a trend that we've been seeing, uh, some of the devastating effects of that broadly. More specifically, after COVID, I think things are even, in some ways, more <laughs> uh, more dismal because so many of the ways that we have measured success over the last few decades, I think pastors have come to the end of their rope as they've realized, you know, the numbers aren't there and maybe the giving is down and the crowds are down. And so much of what they put the the hope of their soul in really has been, it's let them down and it's been devastating. And so we've seen so many different pastors quit, burn out, turn to uh, substances or affairs or what have you uh, as a way to escape uh, some of the the depression and the the heartache and the burnout that they're feeling. So many have been fired because of divisive issues in the church. So the state of the pastor in America, I I don't feel very optimistic about it. That's not to say that there aren't great pastors out there. I mean, I know so many great godly men who are just serving the best that they can. And just count me uh, among the people who say I am far from perfect. Um, There's so many areas of my own ministry where I'm flawed and, you know, just trying to do the best I can. And I see a lot of that with guys who would just admit, that they're they don't have it all together they're just trying to serve jesus well and i'm so thankful for that but in in broader terms i am discouraged by a lot of what i see in pastoral leadership today yeah you know as i think about sort of the i don't know the end creep of pragmatism and consumerism some of the things you kind of touched on over the last i don't know 30 40 years or more the there's obviously, you know, a spiritual component to it, or, or I mean, the most dominant component to it is is spiritual. But part of it, too, I think, is just the context that we live in. It's easy to have a seep in of pragmatism because we live in the 21st century. We have technology in unprecedented ways. The way we just do church necessarily in our context entails so much that, that, that I mean, it's neutral. And yet it puts us in a mode of business or practicality, which, which isn't sinful, that just, I don't know, opens the door to a drift to thinking and more business type. I, you know, I just think of the fact that most of us meet in buildings. Most of us have multiple staff, these things that are neutral, if not good things, but even just that context itself. So one thing I find refreshing about the book is you go all the way back to the context of the inbreaking of the kingdom. You have the heart of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, in particular, you you apply the Beatitudes to kind of the character or heart of the pastor. Talk to us about that. Like, why why the Beatitudes? Why Sermon on the Mount? Why was that kind of a lodestar and, uh, you know, centerpiece for, you know, the main ideas of the book? Yeah, well, I mean, I, part of my hope for the book is that it would be a refreshing balm to the hearts of pastors who do feel the kinds of pressures you're talking about there. We've got buildings, we've got staff, we've got people, we've got budgets. And so there are a lot of external pressures that we feel and sometimes internal pressures that we feel to try to to lead in a certain way or be gifted with certain competencies uh, of leadership and so forth. I mean, I, I have a PhD in leadership and discipleship from Southern. So I get this question all the time from guys who are like, hey, tell me how to do vision casting, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like they they have this internal pressure that they feel like they have to be good at some of those things. And so usually I just start the conversation by saying, look, 
that's not really that important. <laughs> you know, God's vision for the church is very clear. There's no question about what God calls the church to be and do. And you just need to focus on that. You don't have to worry about having a very cute vision statement or compelling rollout of your vision or, or, or those things. And so I do think a lot of people feel those pressures to be gifted in those ways. My, my hope with this book is to say, you know what? It's not to say that those things are bad, but you don't have to be gifted at that to be a good pastor, to be a Christ-like pastor. Instead, here's what you must have. And so that's where I focus in on the Sermon on the Mount and particularly the Beatitudes. And so you asked why the Beatitudes, how does that relate to pastoral ministry? Well, my wife and I were, were working in 2020, early 2020, to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. And so just reflecting a lot, meditating a lot on the sermon and I just I had an insight into the sermon that I had never had before, actually Matthew's introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. I've always imagined in my mind's eye that the Sermon on the Mount was preached to 5,000 people. But actually, the text says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he withdrew. He goes up on the mountain and his disciples come to him. And then he begins to teach them saying. So the picture in my mind's eye shifted from Jesus preaching to the crowd of thousands to now Jesus is with 12. These are the 12 men who are going to be the leaders of the early church. So I just started thinking about the sermon through that lens. If we have anything close to a leadership sermon in the Bible, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. And the thing that's interesting to me about that is what Jesus does talk about and what he doesn't talk about. Um, he doesn't talk about how to preach a sermon, <laughs> which would have been awesome. You know, he doesn't talk about how to organize a church or, or any of those types of things that you would kind of expect from a, a modern pastoral leadership book. I mean, that's not the table of contents for Jesus's sermon. Instead, he begins by saying, you're blessed when you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt and that causes you to mourn and therefore be humble to realize that you've got a hunger and thirst for God to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. You have to hunger and thirst for him to fill you with his righteousness, which then is going to produce in you kind of character that looks like a person of mercy and a person who is uh, pure in, in heart, a person who is a peacemaker, a person who's willing to serve Jesus so faithfully that even when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, you're willing to endure, right? So these are the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom, but it, it's specifically being taught and applied to the leaders of the early church. And so I just started thinking through what would the Sermon on the Mount look like if you just began to apply it to pastoral ministry instead of focusing on vision casting and organization and administrative things and all of this kind of stuff that we've sort of added <laughs> uh, to all of our pastoral leadership books in recent years. What, what if instead we just focus on the character that Jesus desires for those who follow him? What would it look like if we think about the place of mourning in the life of a pastor. I mean, when was the last time you read a book uh, that talked about the importance of, of mourning <laughs> for, for a pastor? But I find that to be very relevant um, to the day-to-day -day reality of being in ministry. So, so that's, that's why the Beatitudes, it's really just an application for pastors, for church leaders, for the, those who are in ministry of the Beatitudes, which I think is actually how it was intended to be read in the first place. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I love kind of the not just a sense of reset for the consideration of, of what pastoral leadership and pastoral ministry looks like, but just going back to the heart of Christ and to the context of the gospels and to see, you know, as the kingdom is you know, being inaugurated through the ministry of, of Christ and, and his very life, 
to connect that to the heart of what we're doing. Like we are in the business of transformation. We're in the business of heralding the kingdom. Fundamentally, it's not about building bigger churches and you know building bigger auditoriums and, and bigger platforms. And you know, all those things can be good in service of the great good, the best good, which is this kingdom work. I want to ask you about one of the specific aspects of this Christ-like, the Beatitude character, meekness, not not in fashion very much today, at least. Well, I was going to say at least on social media, but I think even outside of that, meekness is often seen as a liability. It's seen as a character flaw <laughs> in, in many regards. What does it mean for a pastor to be to be meek? Well, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis here. You know, who, who said that humility, speaking of humility or meekness, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. So, yes, yeah, so much of modern ministry is about the platform. It's about expanding your influence. I mean, I'm sure you get these emails like I get these emails all the time from consultants and companies who <laughs> promise, you know, to broaden your reach and expand your platform and increase your social media influence and all of these different types of things. And, you know, frankly, I mean, that's just a very present danger for those of us who speak and teach and lead and preach uh, publicly. And we have a public ministry. We do have a platform that we steward that God has entrusted to us. And that's true if you pastor a church of 200 or 20 or 2000, um, all of you who are pastors have a, have a platform in that way. And it is a, a very present danger to allow that to inflate our ego, to take center stage, to be a glory receiver instead of a glory reflector. And so when I think about meekness or humility, I'm not thinking about getting down on yourself or beating yourself up or, or in Lewis's terms, thinking less of yourself, but just a, a simple thinking of yourself less, realizing this is about Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus is the center of the church. And so we can't make it about us. It's got to be about about him. Zach Eswine, in his book, The Imperfect Pastor, he talks about omni-temptations that pastors face, the desire to want to you know, know it all, be it all, uh, be everywhere for everyone, that kind of thing. Well, that's really just a temptation to be Jesus. And, and the church will let you. I mean, that's the reality. Um, but the church wants you to be Jesus because they're looking for any substitute. It's very easy to idolize the pastor and look f- look for from him the kinds of things only Jesus can do. Right. So I think a humble pastor is the one who's just deflecting and reflecting that praise to Jesus, drawing people's attention to the only one who knows it all and has all the answers and can be it all for them. So it's a tricky thing to be someone who is so central to the formation of people's spiritual lives without also being the one that they they look to for their formation or, or look to as their sufficient savior. Even in a hospital visit, it's it's easy to become kind of that savior substitute rather than a representative of the savior. We represent Jesus, but we're not the savior in that moment. It's very easy to just kind of become that human person that somebody looks to for their hope. And, and it's easy to receive that as a pastor. If you preach a good sermon and people just love the way you preach and that kind of thing, it's just very easy to receive that praise and let it to go, go to your head. And all of a sudden your ministry becomes all about you. So I love, I include an illustration in the beginning of the chapter. I, I love an Ill, a sermon illustration that Jamie do gave one time where he just said he went to the zoo one time and he sees all of these different animals and and uh, his school group or whatever comes up to the cage where there's a peacock and it just you know throws its 
feathers out there and it's all of these different colors and everybody's kind of ooing and ah. and he said i just you know honestly i looked at that and instead of seeing something beautiful i just thought it was really ugly <laughs> um, and weird you know that's kind of strutting around like that and but he said you know there's a little bit of peacock in all of us where we want to sort of strut our stuff and flash our feathers and be brilliant and have all of this amazing color that causes people to ooh and, and to ah, but we've got to kill the peacock. And I think that's just such a needed word. We just have to recognize there is that ego monster in each and every one of us. Um, and it's just so easy to take center stage, but we, we have to be the ones who just shine the spotlight onto Jesus. My, my friend, Nathan Lino says he is the trophy and we are the display case. Mm. Yeah, the the irony in this, of course, is that there is no person more glorious than Christ, and yet he was not in his earthly ministry ostentatious. He was not flamboyant. He was not pushy. You know, certainly there were times he pronounced judgment and woes and so on, but he was not a a bull in a china shop. He was not domineering, you know, that sort of thing. Recently, I had my friend Ronnie Kurtz on the program talking about his book on theology leading to essentially the fruit of the spirit, which we narrowed down or, or refined to say, of course, that, I mean, what the, what the Holy Spirit is doing in us as he's bearing fruit in our lives is conforming us to the image of Christ. The fruit of the spirit is basically what Christ-like character looks like. And so I asked him the question, okay, what kind of theologian was Jesus? Like, how did Jesus do theology? I want to pose the question to you, but framed through your book, how, how did Jesus do pastoral ministry? What The rest of the book is shepherding like Jesus. What kind of shepherd was Jesus? How would you describe Pastor Jesus? If yeah. Yeah. The pastor of your local church. What a great question. I mean, I, I frankly, I think it look, he is the embodiment of the Beatitudes. So he actually models what he calls us to. By the way, he also enables what he calls us to. So, you know, so let's not make any mistakes here. Embracing a beatitudinal life, you know, reflecting this kind of character in your own life. This is not something that you do in your own. It's not like you pick yourself up by your own moral bootstraps and just decide you're going to do this. I mean, the first beatitude, you, it begins with your recognition of your spiritual bankruptcy, which is what it means to be poor in spirit. You can't do this. You don't have the, the resources, and therefore, you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which he will fill you with. So Jesus en enables us to live a life that looks something like the beatitudes, but he also models it. And so I, I, what does Jesus look like as a shepherd, as a pastor? Well, he looks like the epitome of meekness, the epitome of someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, the epitome of pure in heart. I mean, we aspire right to purity in heart. The reality is we aren't pure in heart. Our, our hearts are wicked, desperately wicked. But Jesus is perfectly pure in heart. He is the peacemaker. So I would say his shepherding looks like the epitome of the, of the Beatitudes. He saw people. I mean, if you just look through the Gospels, he sees people. Um, he cares for the marginalized. He often does his greatest ministry not on the stage, but on the sidewalk as he's walking through crowds. I, I think of, again, I, I kind of have this picture in my mind's eye of sort of the, the modern American successful pastor who's waiting in the green room with only blue M&Ms. He comes out, speaks to thousands. He's got his sweet Jordans on and he's whisked away, you know, and doesn't have really time to see the person who is on the margins. Boy, that is not Jesus. 
he walks slowly through the crowd. He sees the people that no one else sees. He takes the time to interact with people who are socially unacceptable and go eat meals with them. And, and he does have the public aspect of his ministry. You do have the healings, you do have the, the, the sermons and the public teaching moments. You have all of those things, but, but Jesus uh, is full of integrity and full of kindness. And what you see off the stage is, is what you see on the stage. That's a long meandering answer. Um, but I think the kind of shepherd that Jesus was is, is reflected exactly in the Beatitudes. What do you think is keeping most of us from embodying this, reflecting this? What's the major hurdle for us? Some of it, I think, is how we've been formed. I mean, we have been formed. Jared, you're, I think, a little bit older than I am, but both of us probably grew up, uh, you know, in, in the church of the 90s, probably our most formative years. Is that right for you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, same, same thing for me. So, you know, a lot of the heroes that were held up and kind of the models or examples of successful ministry, the formative ways of doing ministry. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of it's been in the water that we've been drinking for many, many years. When I was in seminary, some of the key sort of model pastors that were held up for me as examples to emulate are no longer in ministry because of toxic leadership patterns or moral failures or something like that. So I think that's a big hurdle, frankly, for millennials, certainly for the generation above and below millennials. I think that's going to be a major obstacle is so many of the models for ministry that we were given. It was just based on this conception of what it means to be a success. And that castle has begun to crumble which I'm very thankful for. And I think actually COVID may, may accelerate the crumbling of that castle because it has shown us that a lot of the things that we put our trust in, numerical success, that kind of thing, that, like, that we can't put our trust in those things. So I'm hoping for a resurgence, a renewal. Uh, you use the word reset just to come back to the basics, to be brilliant in the basics, as somebody has said. And for, for us, that means seeking Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to shape us into greater Christ-likeness, and then reflecting Christ-likeness in how we lead the people that God has entrusted us to lead. You know, when you think of the way Christ did ministry, so to speak, do, you know, do ministry, a couple of years ago, it struck me how Jesus never did anything for anybody who could do something for him, you know, or, you know, who could, you know, add to him or, you know, contribute to him because he doesn't need anything. I mean, obviously people cared for Jesus or fed Jesus or something, but I just mean, you know, he didn't do ministry in such as a way as a, you know, quid pro quo, or I'm doing this to get something from you kind of thing. And, and so it occurred to me, like, it's almost never more Christ-like in doing ministry than, than to care for people who can't do anything for you. They can't blow you up on Twitter. They can't put a big check in the plate. When it's just it's just between you and them and the Lord, that is is often the most Christ-like as you can get. Brother, I'm grateful for the book. I'm grateful for any book that brings us back to the heart of, of God himself in, in the face of Jesus Christ and to help pastors find closeness. You know, I'm working on a book right now about friendship with Jesus, not for pastors, just general Christian living. And I just think this is such a needed thing. And certainly for those of us who shepherd us to be able to um, get back to the the ancient new heart of, of Christ for ministry. Thanks so much, uh, Andrew, for being on the podcast. Jared, I appreciate it. And I'm so thankful for your writing, your ministry, and the, the, the types of things that you emphasize. And my prayer is just that pastors, if they read the book, that they'll just find some encouragement, some hope that, hey, if you're not as gifted in some areas, that's okay. Seek Jesus. <laughs> Ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Seek to reflect his character and, and that you will get the well done, good and faithful servant. 
Amen. Amen. It's a great word. The book is called Shepherding Like Jesus, Returning to the Wild Idea That Character Matters in Ministry. Andrew Hebert is the author, Shepherding Like Jesus, available wherever good books are sold from B&H publishers. And dear listener, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 